talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. It's good, except it sucks. A movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're stepping outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe and into the multiverse for a look at X Men X2, released in April 2003. Technically, this places it somewhere between Archon the movie going on general galactic release and Henry Pop Hunter being released from prison, and you guessed it, there's absolutely no crossover with either of them. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I made of X-Men X2 shortly. Meanwhile, joining me to give her thoughts on X-Men X2 is writer and author Gabby Hutchinson-Crouch. Gabby, where can people find you? They can find, if they want to listen, not listen, they want to read me mostly yelling about politics and posting GIFs of cartoon characters I fancy, they can follow me on at Scribbler. Speaking of fanciful cartoon characters, I also do a podcast called Curiously Drawn, where I talk to funny people about formative cartoon crushes. I've got one series that's out, I'm going to do a summer special in a bit, that should be out probably around the same kind of time as this podcast, so give that a listen. Or if you like my words and you'd like to read them in a book i have several books out there's darkwood which is a family-friendly fantasy comedy trilogy that is available from my publisher darkwood or from any good bookshops and one evil bookshop and there's also the rooks series which is about a family of ghost hunters which is also available from all the same places that you can buy darkwood from okay so before we go any further gabby what happens in x-men x2 oh what happens in x-men x2 is that there's mutants and uh, um <laughs> <laughs> There's a great big sort of fight between three different factions, which is definitely a metaphor for several different marginalised human groups. So there's the humans who are scared of the mutants and want to oppress them. There's Magneto's mutants who are just like, sorry guys, we are the next step in evolution. You can all just die. And then there's the X-Men who are trying to be the nice guys and trying to create a nice little balancing act between like extremes where people get killed they just want everyone to be friends they want their little school for their little child mutants and people keep ruining it for them that's pretty much on the money but gabby how much did you know about the x-men before you saw this movie well i'd seen the first x-men movie i'd seen quite a few bits of the x-men cartoon series so i've been quite disappointed by the first x-men movie because storm hadn't had that much to do and i love storm storm is my absolute favorite of all the X-Men, <laughs> certainly in my podcast. She's one of, so I'm by and Storm was definitely one of the oh, that's what that was movements <laughs> looking back on it. It's like, I just really like Storm. I just think she's really pretty and really cool. And uh, do I want to smooch her? I think I might want to smooch her. Oh, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I was really I was quite upset that she hadn't had that much to do in the first X-Men movie. So I was like really pleased she got loads more to do in this movie. So yeah, I sort of knew kind of about it, but I didn't know that much about the world of it. So I knew the basics. Oh, also, my now husband's housemate at uni had an X-Men Capcom game, like a fighting game that we used to play all the time. (laughs) It was fiendish. It was just 
fiendish to beat. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the cause of a lot of swearing, trying to beat Wolverine up or something. Well, I was surprised at the time, surprised watching it again, how much I liked it. The reason for that being, the X-Men were never my favourites as a Marvel Comics reader because it was all very, they were very humourless in general. I mean, I know, you know, obviously you get Deadpool later on and they did occasionally mm. make the odd joke, but they were kind of very serious. It was all about, you know, the, as you've alluded to, message and issues and so on. And I found them just too. I mean, I recently reread The Dark Phoenix Run, which we'll be coming back to from the early 80s. And there's panels in that where it's more captioned than art. <laughs> you know, it's like just these really long descriptions of what, say, Cyclops is thinking. <laughs> and, you know, to me, I was more about, you know, the Fantastic Four, where they can't yeah. go a panel without making a joke. I love them. I love the vigilantes because you got all these things like, what really stayed to me for when kid was things like Cloak and Dagger when there's a flashback to when they first tried heroin, which, you know, was what set off the abilities. Punisher mm. jumping through a window saying, tell me who your drug dealer is with a rifle held at these blokes. <laughs> or Daredevil when he tried to find the kid's guide dog that got separated in a fight and he couldn't. And those things haunted me. I don't really have expert panels that haunted me, apart from the issue that was taken off me where it had Kitty Pride basically fighting the alien from Alien. <laughs> and I was told it was a bit too horrific for what whatever yeah. I was. But I really wasn't, I suppose, Team X-Men. But I thought somehow, because this is actually based on a very wordy early 80s X-Men right. series, and they somehow made it into a really sort of, it's a little bit too long maybe, but just a straightforward action film. And that really took me by surprise. Yeah. Yeah, I, I re-watched it last night and I was surprised by how well it held up, really, against all of the MCU things. It, it felt like a good ensemble movie in that it wasn't just... So, so something that, that started to really frustrate me as the X-Men movies sort of went on was they were just all about fucking Wolverine. He's fine, but he's not interesting enough to have, like eight films about however many it was I love this is you know coming from someone I loved Logan I loved the direction that they took Logan in that it's basically a sort of a post-apocalyptic cowboy film <laughs> that's just got mutants in it so Wolverine did feel like he was the main character of this but he was the main character of like an ensemble where lots of people had lots of things to do it wasn't just Wolverine goes off and saves the day and the women need help and it was much more sort of yeah group effort than that which I did like I remember really really enjoying X-Men 2 I think I enjoyed it the most out of all the X-Men movies I yeah as I say I lost interest when it just became about Wolverine and I lost interest when they had the sort of the thread where they sort of had it cast as sort of the younger ones I don't know it's just I just found them quite dull <laughs> even though that with the younger ones they made a bit more about Mystique who I really really like and you know she's in it a lot in this film as well so I kind of like that this is the one that I like the most I think partially it's because this is the one with Nightcrawler in it, who I'd never seen before. I don't remember seeing him in the X-Men cartoon, the Saturday morning, da la da 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 la la da da I remember that mostly being about Jubilee and Gambit. I hadn't seen him before. And I really love Alan Cumming. I've loved him ever since Bernard and the Genie. <laughs> I just think he's delightful. You know, I used to watch The High Life with him in. <laughs> so yeah, I love it. Oh, it's that really funny Scottish guy that I really like. And his character's delightful. I really, really loved Nightcrawler. And they made a big thing of introducing him. And he's never heard of ever again. No, I've not been able to find him. <laughs> 
find out why. I mean, they did when they rebooted the franchise. They did a younger Nightcrawler who was kind of like a sassy Richmond for the IT crowd. But but again, I was surprised by how likeable they made Nightcrawler because I was finding really boring in the comics. Things that's always stayed with me. This is exciting and topical because they just announced the next big Avengers movie will be Secret Wars. Mm. And I remember, you know, the opening page of Secret Wars where they're all blasted into Battle World. You've got everyone looking round sort of like at space and you know like Monica Rambo saying what's going on I was checking that big whatchamacallit in Central Park and now I'm here and the thing <laughs> says this ain't Brooklyn Nightcrawler says Ak Nine Zain Veravi Zain is a genuine German word obviously I'm sure but it was kind of that. It almost felt like he, to me, a lot of times, was a bit like a cipher. Like, if there was a depth to his character, I didn't see it. But if there was, they found it in this film and they've really brought it out because he is brilliant. He's brilliant. I, mean, I think it might be almost entirely down to Alan Cumming because he just brings it. He makes him, like, very, very sweet, very vulnerable, this sort of lonely, very, very sort of religious very sort of vulnerable, lonely little guy who's just adorable. He's so cute and so polite. I think from that film, I started saying, bitter shun, bitter shun. And somebody said thank you to me. It was just so cute. So yeah, you've got this guy. And I think that sort of sums up the whole premise of certainly what they were trying to say with those early X-Men movies, that he looks really scary, but he's just this really adorable guy. And yeah, I mean, Alan Cummings definitely the sort of the guy with that sort of combination of funny and sweet and you just want to kind of mother him yeah they're sort of creating this sort of weird sort of tension with Storm like is that an attraction there I don't know he's got a brilliant opening scene where he's sort of attacking the president because he's been brainwashed and he's bumping all over the place he has another really cool hero moment where he bumps off to sort of just pluck Rogue out of the air as she's falling out of an aeroplane and yeah that he's <laughs> They don't even mention in the next film why he's not there. No! <laughs> remember that guy we were all getting on with? Storm, you kind of looked like you had a thing going on with him. Do you remember? No. <laughs> but he was blue. He was blue. He had a tail. No. <laughs> I don't know what. But I even looked into, I thought, because there was no explanation out there, did Alan Cumming have like some other big project that precluded it? Because one thing that's interesting is Halle Berry was all set to starring Giggly, you know, the oh, yeah, Jennifer the really Lopez and Jennifer Lopez thing, yeah. Ben Affleck movie. Yeah. And the second they said, we want you back a storm, she said, right, get me out of that to her agent. <laughs> and went back to this. But I thought maybe Alan Cumming had something, you know, big on all the founders. He was in things like, you know, a thing on BBC4 called I Am In A Thing On BBC4. That's a, it wasn't like he'd gone into something big that we've all forgotten about. It's just, yeah. it's a mystery. It really is. It is. Well, I mean, apparently his makeup was such a pain in the ass. <laughs> I don't know whether it was that. Also, unfortunately, this film, like all of the other X-Men films, we now know was made by a fucking yew tree. Made by a yew tree who preyed on queer men. So we don't know. We don't know. Yeah, there may have been, I don't know if there was something else going on. I certainly don't want to cast dispersions as to whether other people knew, how much other people knew about it. I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to say right now. (laughs) We know now that it was made by fucking Adrian. That is a more than fair point to bring up. Yeah. There are other films for different reasons but in the X-Men franchise that have got similar problems. You know, there are, yes. there's 
one very anti-mask, anti-vax cast member who's caused problems. Yes. There's, <laughs> yes. there's that. There's a gentleman who took short <laughs> comedy to weird extremes, phoning in bomb threats and things. Uh, but this is this is off the scale. So I think we're better yeah, moving on is... to the other yeah. controversial thing about this, which is that we've been calling it X-Men X2. It seems to have about 50 different titles, including... <laughs> yeah, wasn't it called X-Men 2.0 at one point? X-Men 2.0. X-Men 2.0. X2, X-Men United. It all seems a bit like Virgin Cola to me. Like a bit a bit free serve. Like they thought, this is so trendy at the time. And like 18 months down the line, people were thinking, why did they do that? <laughs> yeah, it was very, very millennial, wasn't it? X-Men 2.0, X2. You know, it's all, yes, yeah, sort of that whole sort of millennial. Oh, how do we make things really cool? Yeah, it was really weird. I remember at the time ago, just... Just pick a name and roll with it. Because now it would just be called X-Men 2, wouldn't it? Or it would be like X-Men, then like the subtitle of it, like they do with the Marvel, like Thor Ragnarok or whatever. I got really upset that they didn't call Thor 4 Thor 4. <laughs> Thor, Thor 4, more Thor. <laughs> And there is another kind of turn to the millennium aspect to it, which hasn't really been picked up on much in commentary about it, but really struck me watching it again, which is that, now I'm going to come to a point with this. The whole sort of plot of it is that William Stryker, you know, he's a big military figure, kind of manipulates the government into taking action against mutants. Now, he exploits mm. the point, but there is a point there. They are people with dangerous abilities walking around. They've built this massive school with a fighter plane <laughs> under it. There is a point. Now, the thing is, production on this commenced in autumn 2000. And even then, there were delays because they originally wanted to do Dark Phoenix, but Zach Penn, who was co-writing it, said, are you insane? You're two films into a franchise. Yeah, and they wanted yeah. to do this like crazy story. They eventually did Dark Phoenix. And then, yeah, let's move on from that. But there was a budget cut. Mm-hmm. That's turn Lady Deathstrike from a cyborg into just a person with abilities. They wrote on yes. Angel, Beast, the Sentinels and the Danger Room, which, you know, that's just a oh. set. But yeah. the thing is, had there been any more delays, had they started it, say, in autumn 2001, yes. might they have thought differently about a storyline, about a group of people with a legitimate concern who have still mm. built a massive terror power base? <laughs> well, this is the thing. Watching it, I was sort of very aware. I was going... This is really, really post 9-11. It just really felt like it. Because I know that there's sort of the stand-in for the marginalised groups. It felt sort of, it was, I mean, you could definitely tell that they were going, we're also talking about gay people here, where Bobby's mum says to him, have you tried not being a mutant? That definitely felt like, yeah, we're saying this about parents who can't accept that their child is gay. But it also really did feel like where the younger brother dubs them in to the police that felt really much like oh yeah it feels like you're also talking about what it's like to be a muslim at this point in time what it feels like to have everyone just really fucking paranoid about you and your own community being encouraged to basically yeah to dub you in <laughs> but you know i know there's like lots of different there's been lots of different marginalized communities where people have been you know told oh yeah if you vote the police and let them know about us you know we will give you a nod and a wink and sort of stuff like that but yeah it did feel very post 9-11-y to me I don't know if they like added those bits in so like because if it's 2003 that's around the time of the invasion of Iraq isn't it yes so it's weird you've got this genesis before all that started and then that does kind of creep in almost as if my analysis is I could be wrong but 
they were kind of we lumbered ourselves with this storyline yeah. which is maybe not really appropriate we'd better make some changes because as good as it is you can as you say you can kind of spot the bits that were brought in later yeah to be honest i liked that it was complex that you did root for like the people who were trying to find a third way a way to exist without being genocide and without committing genocide a way to sort of coexist with humanity on a fairly even scale but you could also understand the fear of the humans and you could also understand the pain and the rage of Magneto and Mystique it helps that Magneto and Mystique are so likeable for villains you really like those guys because they're an old queer guy and his sexy lady best friends just going around like giggling to each other oh my dear have you seen what she's wearing it's like i want to be part of the evil gang they sound like fun <laughs> well it's interesting you mentioned that the whole villains with a point thing because mm. there is the whole thing about when they were planning the Marvel Cinematic Universe their main reference points were what did we like about Spider-Man 2 what did we like about the first Blade film what did we like about this you mm. know about X-Men X2 and I think you can really see through lines but the one thing I really noticed about this in comparison to what Marvel did themselves is the lack on the soundtrack of I suppose commercially available beat music <laughs> because what those movies have celebrated for is doing really clever and funny things with pop mm. records and in this there's just isn't there a Backstreet Boys song that is on the radio for about three there seconds and it's turned off yes. and the rest of it is just soundtrack it's a good soundtrack but that feels like a crucial element that you really notice the absence of here yeah I mean the first Nightcrawler scene is to Mozart which is really cool um, that popular so, beat oh, well I mean to me it is <laughs> <laughs> I listen to Radio 3 okay that's 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 my idea of a banger <laughs> it is a banger it's tia tia it's really cool but yeah no you know you're right it's not pop culture in fact while it is very very post 9-11 it is also sort of it feels more outside of our world and it could be like it could be set in the future it kind of feels like because everything's quite futuristic with the mcu it definitely feels like even though it's like it's a parallel world to us it feels very very connected to our world because they will do stuff like they'll just have i'm blue by Eiffel 62 playing in the scene <laughs> you go oh well Eiffel 62 is canon in the MCU <laughs> they do a lot of that whereas yeah there's not many cultural references at all in the X-Men films they exist sort of outside of our world I don't like uncomfortable silences what are you doing <laughs> I don't think that's the CD player. What is really striking, though, in a positive way is, I mean, you mentioned the failed it's an ensemble piece, and also you mentioned Rebecca Ramirez mm. as Mystique and how good she is. There are so many independent, strong female characters in it. I mean, Anna Paquin is amazing as Rogue. I mean, yeah. admittedly, you know, she's not knocking back Southern Comfort about bitching about Captain <laughs> Marvel's arse like she does in the <laughs> comics, but she really gets inside that character. I and mean, to think that yeah. a couple of years earlier, she was that little girl crying mm. at the Oscars because she yeah. got an award for the piano. Famke Janssen, I think yes. Scarlett Johansson took a few leads from her physically for how she played Black yes. Widow. And Halle Berry doesn't really nail Storm as she is in the comics, but I think yeah. it's the fact she loves playing her makes it work. Yeah, she feels very soft 
it doesn't strong. get celebrated enough for having that many strong female characters in the superhero film in the time when you normally had none. Yes, it passes Bechdel, I noticed, because Storm and Jean are sent off on a little mission, which means that they're regularly talking to each other about the comms. <laughs> <laughs> Or they'll just talk to each other about the mission. Of course they do. They're two superheroes off on a mission together. They're going to talk shop. That's just naturally what happens. It hasn't been forced. That's just naturally what happens if you have two female characters be able to go off and do a mission together. It just makes sense. The one thing in terms of female representation that I feel isn't so good is Lady Deathstrike. Yeah. (laughs) Not just because she's a woman, because she's an East Asian woman with one line who for most of the time walks around with no facial expression. In fairness, she has been brainwashed, but she walks around looking all sexy in a power suit and has a single line and doesn't get to emote. And she just feels really hard done by because she's been brainwashed and there's no attempt to save her she just has this big fight with wolverine wolverine realizes that she's like him she's the same she's been tortured in the same way as him and then he kills her <laughs> <laughs> there is no attempt because she sort of starts to unbrainwash herself and then she gets brainwashed again if they could have just like tied her up or something and took her away she could have she only needed a couple of hours she'd have been fine and Wolverine would have a little friend who was who was like him and they could go off and they could find out what happens together she could be like a really nice person for all we know we don't know all we know of her is this silent Japanese woman who has sexy long death nails the other person I don't think was treated fairly is Jason because Jason just goes left to die. I mean, yes, again, he does try to commit genocide, but that's because he's been brainwashed as well by Stryker. And it's all been whispered into his ears. And, and deep down, Jason's like a scared child. You know, he starts, the projection of him as a little girl starts crying that dad's going to be mad at him. And he's just left in, in this wheelchair as things fall apart. Like, again, Nightcrawler doesn't know what he's done. Nightcrawler just sort of bumped into that room. The room got cold. There was a little girl who started crying and then Nightcrawler got Storm out of there and then got Professor X out of there. He had plenty of time to get Jason out there. I was like, nine, nine, two is my limit. <laughs> I can, I'm already carrying this one guy. I cannot possibly carry another guy in a wheelchair. So you do have really good disability representation in X-Men because, you know, this absolute badass who's really, really cool and played by Patrick Stewart is in a wheelchair he's unable to walk, but then bring in a second character who's in a wheelchair and unable to walk, who's evil but has no agency and is just left in his wheelchair to get crushed. It just feels like, oh, you were so close. It's like one step forward and just like back it goes again. Yeah, I felt really bad for those two guys because, you know, they were mutants and they were being, they were both being abused by Stryker. Stryker was the real villain and they were just left to it. The other really big action scene in it, I think was absolutely astonishing, which is the assault on the Academy, Mm. where they really have pulled it out of the bag here and they've made Logan seem like he could see them all off by himself he can fight off this entire army but he has to smuggle all these kids out of the building which is how you get all these set up cameos people like Kitty Pride Siren Jubilee opinions divided on whether Gambit's there or not Daniel Moonstar Cypher but also Colossus who on the commentary for Deadpool because 
I say Colossus was recast for that. He was made, he was recast as CGI. But Tim Miller, the director, refers to this and says, that's not fucking Colossus. I feel sorry for the poor guy who played him. But... Yeah, yeah, he just shows up, gets shot at, and then goes, do you want any help? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is our film. Go away. <laughs> But you're right, it just feels like it's Logan just jumping around. It's like you're in a school full of like incredibly capable superheroes. You could have all of these kids doing pretty cool things. You could just like put in more soldiers to up the states. Also, I find it really funny that the soldiers were dressed for like forest. (laughs) (laughs) They had like, they've got like loads of green and black face paint on. Like they're going to go and camouflage themselves in the forest and then they just go to a school. first submitted the first cut they were told that scene's gonna make it an awe and they cut out genuinely about four seconds and we're told yeah that's fine (laughs) it's really bloodless considering i noticed like considering the violence of especially you know you've got these guys are being repeatedly stabbed through the chest by a man who has knives for hands there's no blood at all it's just like these guys are just getting like skewered and they're just like down i go <laughs> and there's no blood anywhere they clearly sort of cut out loads of just yeah we're just gonna make it really 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 pg <laughs> there's just all these guys are getting bloodlessly stabbed through the hearts at the end i mean there's no post credit scene but we do get obviously gene inverted commas as she so often does in the comics sacrifices herself to <laughs> stop everything and then we get <laughs> While they think, you know, they see the last of her, basically Phoenix, yeah. it's unclear whether she's Dark Phoenix or not, rising up. And it was a setup for something that never quite happened. <laughs> I was like, why, why did she get out of the plane? <laughs> it was so silly. <laughs> First of all, when I was when I was rewatching that, I was really amused by the fact that they showed us that dam right at the start of the film because Logan goes there, you know, first of all, he's just wandering around the dam. And then obviously they come back to it. And when the dam started bursting, I was like, oh, Chekhov's dam. <laughs> <laughs> you're going you're gonna to show a hydroelectric dam in the first scene. You better make sure it explodes at the end. <laughs> so but she's, she's got no detail. And all she does is get out and make the plane fly and not only make the plane fly but also fighting against she's using up so much energy fighting against all the other mutants who are trying to go to her aid how heavy is she because <laughs> by her getting out it feels like the only thing that's making it easier is she's getting rid of her own body weight from the plane to make it fly she could have easily just made it fly while being in the plane but no no she's gonna get out and hold back loads of water and also make the plane go up dude that was unnecessary (laughs) (laughs) and just just scott's face i can't take james marsden seriously at all because he's played so many really great comic characters since then obviously the prince in enchanted the arsehole in is it dead to me i just can't take him seriously at all when he's pulling all those gurning grief faces (laughs) I just started giggling. It's like, you're too funny. 
We have got the situation now, though, and I know you're really keen to talk about this, where, you know, for years and years, because this was an ongoing series until, I think, New Mutants only came out in 2020. The X-Men series was ongoing until then, and there'd been all kinds of problems, like, I think Marvel originally thought they could use mutants just as, you know, a thing, and they could have lesser characters in, but, you know, there were things like, apparently that's why Quicksilver was only in Age of Ultron, was they could only license him for that. There's a whole thing about they wanted to use mutants as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they couldn't so they used the Inhumans and stuff which didn't quite work because they're Mm. not in the same position and it didn't quite come off but now we've had Patrick Stewart as Professor X in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and at the end of (laughs) Ms. Marvel that yes, movie was Bruno a bit of the not. X-Men cartoon theme as well oh, oh that genuinely gave me goosebumps when Bruno said the word mutant and it went and I went oh oh <laughs> I mean part of that is down to Bishy K. Ali who is fantastic and Ms. Marvel is this wonderful joyful mishmash of pop culture references that obviously you're going to get when you're writing a series about a 50 year old nerd <laughs> it kind of feels like the x-men cartoon theme was plucked from the ether and sort of inserted into kamala khan's brain <laughs> as a nerd she will know of these things <laughs> but yeah that was delightful and yeah really really excited to see where that goes well i kind of get the impression just from everything that's going on that they're not going to go straight for the x-men they will be part of a wider thing and i mm. find that quite exciting in its own way yeah. that it's not just relying on known glories that you know yes. there'll be this whole world around them and they will be a team within that yeah i really i just really hope they don't bring poor old hugh jackman back again <laughs> <laughs> I'm very bored of his Wolverine and Logan was a beautiful farewell to that and I feel like it would cheapen it to bring him back again but you've got the girl Wolverine be fine well speaking of that kind of thing there's only one thing left for me to ask now Daniel Cudmore who was Colossus in X-Men X2 <laughs> was also in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Keith Spiffy slash Bassar the Demon in Hellstrom so who was best oh, I think you can answer that without having watched Hellstrom to be honest I, I have watched Hellstrom I I don't know. I don't know. You've got a very convincing demon helping the devil's children fight their possessed mother, or yeah. you've got not fucking Colossus. You've got a guy who gets <laughs> shot at and goes, do you need any help? No. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of answers itself. Yeah. <laughs> Gabby, thank you, and Excelsior. And also to you. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me, at timworthington.org.